0: Well, we welcome you to another edition of Unplugged. And we joined a little bit later on by Daryl Wakeland. And we we did actually think about asking him to stick around and do a second interview and pretend to be Shane and play that a different week and and just go through both of them. But uh, Daryl Wakeland will join us on the show. It comes after a 38-point loss to Melbourne, a game that played out like all Melbourne games do. We, We kind of forecast that it might go a little bit that way. Midway through the second quarter, it looked disastrous. It looked like it was going to be one of those... Massive punches in the face, if you will, that confirmed we were a mile off it. We'd lose all the percentage we gained. We'd lose all of the confidence. We'd be in free fall. But they did dig their heels in a little bit in the second half and, and showed some resistance. So I think I tweeted after the game that it wasn't horrible and it wasn't great. It was sort of hovering around about that, you know, about what we expected of a six out of 10, something like that. But... I guess the question is, I wanted to come out of that Melbourne game thinking that we had somewhere to go, that if we played them again, there was room for improvement, we could bridge the gap. And, and I feel that is the case, whether we're capable of getting close enough to knock them off, uh, that's a, a conversation for another day. But some encouragement, some frustration, some bad habits. And I think last week I compared the performance to a, a film. We, we might look to do that over, re, over coming weeks. Every game we play, we might compare that to a particular film. But to me, that was probably one of those predictable dramas where you sit down and in the first five minutes. You're like, I know exactly what's going to happen here. He'll do that. He'll do that. In the end, he'll die. He'll win. And, and that'll be the end of the movie. He'll get to be with her. And away we go. But it was a bit that way. You kind of just sat down thinking, right, Oh, you know, it's an easy one. We'll uh, we'll just watch this film. We know exactly what's going to happen, but it did play out that way. And, and, and Nick, it was, um, we saved face. I would suggest, um, but that's probably about what we got out of it.
1: I think so. I mean, it, it's it's funny looking back at some of the commentary, I guess, in the, in the days following uh, the game, and, and kind of the 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 distance between some commentators and others, and some are saying mm. it, it was a disastrous loss that Melbourne took the foot off the pedal and allowed St Kilda to kind of get the get the game back on their terms for a period. Others saying, you oh, know, it's about where St Kilda are at. You know, they're about a six goal worse team than than, you know, the top two or three teams in, in the competition. And that's about, that's about right. And and others are saying, hang on, Secure to wrestled this game back from the brink of destruction and worked real hard and, and all this. And, and, you know, if they'd done that from the first minute, then could have won that game. And it's, it's kind of amazing to see the different perspectives and, and opinions at a, at a result like that. But I, I think, I think it probably is, I mean, regardless of, of how the game played out, I think we all kind of agreed that we probably are a four to six um, goal team off off, uh, Melbourne or Brisbane or or um maybe not Fremantle because we've beaten them over there so I don't kind of keep them in in the top couple but um yeah I think we we knew that like you said we we've got a journey to go on and and this is part of the journey it was a bit of a a bit of a reality check at times but yeah I think in times gone by you go back to last year and and some of those games uh, early on, whether it's the, the Essen game or the Bulldogs game, and a team, a team jumps out to a five goal to one uh, head start or, or nine goals to one, um, and all of a sudden it's a 120 point loss. Um, and regardless of the fact whether or not Melbourne took their foot off the pedal, um, or, or kind of put the cue in the rack and, and allowed us to get back in the game, the reality is that we didn't drop our bundle, you know, we, we didn't let that happen. Uh, we worked our way back into it, regardless of any other factor. Um, and, you know, we played out the game. It, it wasn't a fantastic result, but, you know, it, it, it was better than it could have been. Was it as good as it could have been? No, uh, it would have been much better for us to walk away, uh, you know, having won that game, of course. Um, but, you know, it's a big ask. Melbourne are the best team in the competition for a reason. Uh, we showed for a period of the game that we can match it with them. And, you know, I think it gives us great optimism moving forward. Um, but it's also frustrating knowing that we can do that for 40, or 50 minutes. And then, you know, why couldn't why couldn't we have come out firing um, like they did?
0: I was spewing Melbourne kicked two goals in the last minute. I was hoping I mean, 26 felt about right. 38 blew out a little bit. But um, mm. a four-goal loss felt more stomachable, I think, H, than, uh, than six.
2: I'll, going back to the second quarter is... Mm. you've both been saying that it looked like it was going to be an absolute blowout. We were probably the best ever looking team who were down Mm. nine goals to one.
3: Mm.
2: That's probably the way to describe it. We didn't play that bad of football. A couple of things didn't go away. They made the most of every single opportunity they'd got. It it was not, well, if, if you watched that without the scorecard, you'd be thinking, oh, there's a couple of goals in this at the most. It, it, we didn't look that far behind him. We were not eight goals behind him at that point of the game. Uh, and it helped us that we did pull back a few and then managed to keep going to third, got a couple more back. Um, but it, it it wasn't, as you're saying, it wasn't a six-goal loss. It, that four was probably the mark that we should have been sitting at. and we Basically, they've just taken those red time goals right at the end there and made it a bit more of a blowout. But you are saying that a lot of the commentators going on about uh, that varying degrees of what they've called the game at. Um, like you listen back to the commentary during the game and, but Buckley was quite impressed with us, despite the fact of what was happening on the scoreboard. He kept on saying, they're not playing bad football. They're not playing bad football. They're, doing all the right things but there's just that divide between where we're at where Melbourne's at and, and, that, and that's the that, that's the simplest way to put it, put it there is a gap between those top few and where we're sitting at the moment it's a sort of gap that on your day you can knock over but at the moment Melbourne are basically doing what they do to need need to do to win matches you saw him against North and Hawthorne and just basically going, they went out there for kick to kick and oh, we better kick a few goals to make sure we don't lose this. And that's sort of what it felt like. But you then think, well, they've looked at us and gone, okay, we've got a good opponent here. We've got to play good football. And they played very good football. And and they I feel like that they played a lot better against us than they have against a lot of other teams.
1: The the effort was certainly there. I mean, I don't think, like you said, H, I don't think anyone could could question our effort. Even that period, you know, where Melbourne just went bang, 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 um, our our effort could not be questioned, and desire could not be questioned. It was just, you know, in certain moments, execution, key moments of execution, whether it was, you know, winning winning a, a clearance or a contest, and bursting out of out of that stoppage. And then skying the ball, you know, 50 meters in the air to no one in particular. And and we spoke about it last week. You know, if there's one thing that you cannot do against Melbourne is just bomb it long into forward 50 because the, they're always going to be Stephen May there. And he was there in that first 10 minutes. Stephen May was everywhere. Every time we kicked it forward, Stephen May was there. And then even, even after that first kind of 10 or 12 minutes, when we kind of worked out, don't kick it in his direction, we still did the same thing just to Harrison Petty or to Jake Lever. And you just can't do that against Melbourne. And it, it is, it is our biggest downfall. And there are some key, some key members of our team that do it is kind of that, that little brain fade when they win the ball, they win the contest, win possession, and then just bomb long without looking, without thinking. And there's often there's time for them to take another step or two more steps or another second and just look up and, and work out. No, that's not the best option. There's someone to handball to there's, a shorter option ahead of the ball. There's you know, lower lower your eyes and, and hit someone up on a lead rather than bombing it long to the top of the goal square or, or you know 35 meters out. And you know, Melbourne is the one team that you cannot get away with it against because they have so many options. They're so good at at reading the ball at um their defensive IQ is phenomenal. And the way that they set up defensively is incredible. Watching it against us on the weekend, and it wasn't just that last line of defense, but the way that they set up to defend our our kick-ins even, the way that they set up high um, to to defend uh, away from goal um, is just amazing to watch the the discipline and their willpower to do what needs to be done at every single play, every single stoppage, every single contest. And, and, you know, it really is a benchmark that that we should be looking to um, in in terms of what we have to, what we have to achieve.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned Nick at the start, the, different narratives that came out after the game and it's funny they're all contrasting but in a funny way they were also all true in their own little way. Um, Melbourne did blow us away when the game was alive so when the game was up for grabs they, they smashed us in, in a lot of key areas, we, we hung in there, we fought back. I thought before the game they'd beat us by about four goals, but there'd be a period in the match where we looked a slight chance of winning. And when Max King kicked that goal midway through the third quarter, I thought, oh, we have kick four in a row We're within 20 points. We're not without a chance. And we just couldn't quite bridge it. I think memory had a shot from 50 not long after that that would have got us within maybe 15 and, and just missed. So you always felt that they might respond. But, you know, we did have a, a bit of a look at it at, at one point or another. We, we carried... It's probably harsh to say carry, but obviously Zach Jones was a bit underdone. Uh, we didn't carry him. He had 20 touches and, and contributed a bit, but he was a little bit off the pace. It turns out that Dan Butler's obviously been carrying a bit of a an issue, which flared up and has cost him his place in the team. And we upset the balance a little bit by moving Gresham out of the centre bounces on the majority of occasions, which which I think hurt us a little bit. So just got to get that balance right. Obviously, we've got a couple more changes coming in this week which we'll uh, we'll touch on very soon but i guess we'll wrap the bow around that one with with some votes and and Nick, did you want to uh kick us off with a a one two three or a three two one
1: yeah yeah sure um not so many honorable mentions this week i think hmm. it was you yeah, know there was probably less um, contributors um, i think everyone was fairly average um and so yeah i don't really want to be giving honorable mentions to just, uh, you know, average performances, but I gave one vote to Dougal Howard um, could have been given two or three, to be honest. I, I think he was very good. Um, 18 disposals of which all of them were kicks, 10 marks, six intercepts and his 18 kicks went at 83% uh, efficiency, which is is very good uh, in particular for him, knowing the, the type of brain fades that that he tends to have in games when uh He's potentially under pressure. Um, two votes to Brad Crouch. I thought he was a warrior in the middle, 27 touches and nine tackles. Uh, and again, went at 74, 75% efficiency. Uh, just keeps working, Brad Crouch. And and I've been really impressed with his two-way running, his defensive efforts um, over the course of, of this season. I thought he was very good last year, but I think he's taken that to a new level uh, this year. And three votes I thought was probably the clear best on ground for us. Uh, and even then was a clear probably third best on the ground behind a number of the, the D's uh, mids. But Jack Sinclair, 26 touches, nine marks, seven intercepts, five inside 50s and 610 metres gained. Uh, just another very, very good performance from, from Sinks and uh, really has elevated himself into our top two or three players uh, this year.
0: Actually split. I thought it was a game of Melbourne. A lot of their best players were their prime movers through the middle, but their intercept markers uh, dominated. And I thought... Our better players were, were some of those guys too. I gave an honourable mention to Battle, uh, to Crouch and to Steele. But I gave one vote to Dougal Howard for the reasons mentioned. I gave two votes to Jack Sinclair and, and perhaps a, a surprise left field, three votes, took 12 marks. I actually gave that to Kel Wilkie. I thought he was um pretty solid for us in that defensive end. I thought, yeah, he and Howard stemmed the bleeding. I know Brown kicked a few for, for Melbourne, but... I think Wilkie, you know, he's an underrated, underheralded campaigner. And I think he was pretty solid for, for mine. So I went one Howard to Sinclair, three to Wilkie. Hey, yeah,
2: I think the performance shows a little bit by the spread of votes mm. and who we've put in. And uh, it it's, yeah, kind of one of the ones I think we could have chosen almost a dozen mm. players and cho- mm. well, chosen three completely different players each. So um, I ended up giving won the Jack steel um, thought he was there and thereabouts got plenty of it sort of at, at times it felt like he was kind of one of our dry drivers of the, while we had the ball, but at other times it kind of felt like he fell off a little bit or whether he had a lot of, it, there was a lot of focus on him or what was going on, but he did what did what he does normally? Went out there, gave us the gave us what he usually does. Captain's effort against the best team in the league. Um, but yeah, it was it a little bit. I guess has one of his regular games, and we get those few goals closer probably with with the service he gives us. Um, gave two to Tim Membry. I actually thought he actually did really well. Um, presented, got gave position. Got in and he was getting and getting his own ball a fair bit too. So it was a, it was it was one of those matches that you thought, well, in in a winning game, he, he gives us great service. Um, so if we, if if he can continue that sort of form, and he brings the players around him and they all pick up as well, that sort of thing will lead us to a lot of wins. Um, it, it just gets a little bit overshadowed with the result that. Yeah, it it doesn't show as well as it probably probably should. Um, but it's probably one of his yeah better games for us for the season. So, um, it was good to see he's found a little bit of form. We now we just need him giving us that same service when we're up and about and winning the games. Um, and three to Jack Sinclair. Um, he's I I think he's well, he's leading our votes. And I think he's probably a clear leader in the club's votes at the moment too. Um, yeah. Consistency—that—that—that's what he's given us. He, he's been consistent week in, week out, um, and yeah, it'd be nice to have a dozen at least following that same trend of just just giving us that that same output week in, week out, and just being that that I guess go to players that we. Desperately need to make sure that we can play the same level, and not, I guess, turn up like we did in the first forty minutes of the match, and just just not be in the match. So, if yeah, he can continue his trend, it's possible that he I think he's he's in the forty all Australians at the moment. Team is a possibility. The the twenty-two of the team is a possibility as well. So. Keep, keeps up this form. I think he's every chance of making that this year.
1: His versatility is pretty important as well. He can be on a halfback flank, he can be on a wing, he can play in the middle. Yeah, probably gets a gig on the bench. But um, yeah, he's super versatile and, and super consistent over the last twenty-four months.
2: The old, old utility as as it used to be.
0: I think a good summary of our um, you know, as you say, that the vote spread across a, a number of players there. I hesitate to guess we probably had Seven, maybe six different players. Yeah, six different players. So there you go. Um, A player uh, that's a very interesting journey over the course of his career was a regular right from the word go when he arrived at the Saints uh, playing uh, the majority of games across the journey, including in a grand final and was part of the massive upheaval uh, when he left the club at the end of 2000, when the the list was completely flipped upside down. We speak of one of two members of the same family that played for St Kilda at the same time. It is Daryl Wakeland. picking up Tony Brown most of the day and here he is
1: contesting
2: in the rut. They've lost control, Thompson. Good hand pass, Wakeland. It gets there.
0: Now before this chat we were just going through a little bit of research almost in our heads uh, about players that played in grand finals for St Kilda and another club and Daryl Wakeland is one of what we think is about 10 or 11 that that have done that over the journey and Unfortunately, won a premiership with the second one at Port Adelaide, but obviously not at the Saints back in 1997. Recruited from South Australia via the Adelaide Crows. Played 115 games for the Saints before playing 146, including the 2004 premiership, uh, where Alistair Lynch tried to knock him into next week. Uh, Daryl Wakeland, thanks very much for, for joining us.
4: Absolute pleasure.
0: Now, um... Interesting journey for you, obviously, you, your your brother arrived at St Kilda, you went to Adelaide and then obviously a couple of years later, you were reunited at the Saints. Can you sort of take us through what that was like and, and how much did it even help you upon your move to St Kilda, knowing that Shane had already done it?
4: Yeah, look, it was an interesting journey at the start. I, I did a pre-season with the Crows as a 17-year-old out of the Tilt, what was the originally the Tilt Cup, the under-18 competition back then, so... Uh, got a taste for a, a pre season. It was the Crow's second season. And in history, I'll um, say that I didn't get picked up at that stage as a 17 year old, but they actually drafted me in a pre season draft two years later. Actually, the Shane was picked up in 92 draft. It was a very, it was an excellent draft, that 92 um, draft, but I had a knee injury that year. So uh, I didn't get picked up in that national draft and got picked up in the pre-season draft the following year in 93. So uh, a short stint at Adelaide for about eight months, I, I think it was, and uh, didn't play any games, wasn't contracted back in the days of a list of 52. So, um, yeah, that sort of, you know, I think it lit the fire in the belly a fair bit, knowing that I'd, I'd, I'd had a bit of a taste of it. I'd been on a list for a period. I wasn't quite ready I knew I just needed to get my body right get as fit as I could and um, yeah give it another crack and that's what I did at the SNFL level
1: Daryl that 93 crows team was was pretty good but how how close did you get to to making a debut with with Adelaide in 93
4: 94 Yeah look I think there was maybe about 8 or 10 players that went on to play over 200 games from that till cup years so that that '93 season, that you had the likes of Ben Hart, Mark Rashudo, Sanderson, um, quite a few of them, uh, Sean Wellman, uh, guys who went on to have you know quite amazing careers. So it it was it was really my priority to get a game with Port Adelaide at the time. Port Adelaide were a, a very good team; they'd won five of the last, I think, five premierships of the last sort of uh, over the last six seven years. So that really was my priority. And uh, at the time, I was playing more of a, as a ruck, I was an undersized ruckman. So I really had to adjust through them years to becoming, you know, trying to really find a position, if you like. And um, and that's how I played majority centre-half forward, and that's what I was tra- um, uh, recruited to Adelaide for. So uh, didn't really get close to getting a game that year. There's certainly a lot better players playing more consistent footy. And then I, I got injured and I missed about three months of footy. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a long answer to your short question. I was a fair way off that year. 94 was the season I got very fit and um, had a good good, um, a, a good a season, SNFL, and uh, we won the premiership that year.
2: There's a possible story about that had the licence gone to Port Adelaide rather than Fremantle, the chances yeah. are you may have held on and tried to go straight and support Adelaide and that means you would never have joined Sir Gilda in that case. Is, uh, is there much truth behind that story?
4: Yeah, spot on. I mean, that, you've been doing your homework. <laughs> That's
2: outstanding. I, I, I heard ref- it a while back, yeah.
4: Yeah, it's good to reflect on that period. I mean, Port Adelaide, had, it was, a, you know, it was a really us against them as a Port Adelaide player and supporter. So through that period, There was a promise. Um, Obviously, I played in that premiership in 94 in the local league and um, through the trade, long story short, I got to, as we'll probably get to, I got to go to St. Kilda. Because I'd been listed before, Fremantle could list me on on their uh, original list, but they done a deal to list me and then on trade me through the Lockett deal through Sydney uh, to Melbourne. But what actually happened, Port thought they were going to go in 96. And But there was also some rumbling saying that, you know, Frio would come in for that 95 season. That was all set to go. And then really there was probably about 10 of us Magpies guys at that time that um, were a chance to maybe play AFL in that next couple of years. But I just had the attitude right from the start, rightly or wrongly, that I would go to Melbourne, take that opportunity with St Kilda, if I couldn't get a kick, if I wasn't good enough, at least I'd find out where how where I was at. I knew St Kilda were going to give me an opportunity, and to play sort of centre half back, full back, and I thought I'd seen my I'd, I'd watched my brother play there, my twin brother, and I thought why not? Why why can't I do that? And uh, I was nearly twenty at that stage. Well, I was twenty, so I was I didn't want to waste any more time, and I had just had to get over there, give it give it a best crack, and. The worst that could happen, I'd yeah, you know, it wasn't successful. I'd go back to Adelaide and get another opportunity when when the AFL team come in.
0: I guess those early St Kilda days, so you arrived from what was effectively at that stage a one-team city in Adelaide. Port hadn't come into the AFL yet, as we said. Uh, Obviously, you went into the Melbourne Fish Bowl. You played for St Kilda pretty much immediately. They were in their second season under Stan Elves with the likes of Ozzy Jones and Joel Smith and Tony Brown and Matthew Lappin and all of these youngsters coming in. What was that experience like and how did it compare to, to Adelaide? Look,
4: Port Adelaide were a very professional club, very successful club. Uh, obviously, uh, St Kilda had lacked success, but they had made some pretty brave moves to, with that trade with Locker, which allowed that 95 season was the first, my first season, obviously, and Tony Brown arrived uh, through that draft, uh, Joel Smith, Ozzie Jones, Um, Robbie Neal came down from Sydney as part of that deal, so they added a whole lot of youth, Matty Lappin was already there, Uh, a year later Maxie Hutchton come on board my twin brother Shane was obviously there, and then we had the blend of the more senior experienced guys who were probably around that stage they were probably 27, 28, you know Lowe, Harvey, Burke, Winmar Shanahan and Spud Frawley was coming to the back end of his career, so it was a really nice blend of youth. And I think that was a massive part of why we shot up the ladder over that following two or three years. A,
1: a little bit of a, a two-parter, but you, you've come into the into the, the AFL, and you, you've played 21 games in your first year. You must have felt like it's actually pretty easy. Like all those question marks is whether, you know, were you good enough um, were, were answered pretty quickly. And then kind of a, a year later, you, you uh, win the first piece of silverware for the footy club in in forever with the uh, the Ansett Cup, and what was the mood around the club at that point? And were those older blokes that you mentioned, Harvey Lowe, Burke? What was their messaging around? I guess what happens now after after winning the preseason Cup?
4: Yeah, look, there was huge expectations. Stewie Lowe made a um, a big call to stay. He offered he got offered a massive contract to go across to Frio at the end of that ninety five sort of ninety six period. Might even been the start of '95, but there there was a real sense that we had a we had a very good spine. We had some, as we say, we had that youth and experience. Um, look, a lot of us young guys, we were really we were very naive. We were just trying to get a game. The, the, I see the kids these days; they seem so much more knowledgeable and uh, so, such a better understanding of where they fit in the whole scheme. But for us, it was Saturday football, and and it was. A social Saturday night, and um, as serious as we did take our football, absolutely, and we trained hard. It was just a very different time, so yeah, we had expectations. But I'll tell you what, Morabbin was a tired old place, and we we used to play out at Waverley, which was the coldest place ever, as you remember. <laughs> and it was it was just really I, I still felt that it was just adjusting to to the Melbourne lifestyle and really balancing, you know, trying to be a young lad and with trying to be a semi-professional footballer at that time. So, <coughs> excuse me, guys. And that that's what it was about. We had lots of fun. Um, I probably didn't appreciate at the time just the quality of the guys we were playing with when you talk about some of them names, that, you know, absolute legends of AFL over the whole history, you know, Winmar, Burke, Harvey, Lowe. And... Um, not that you have regrets but certainly that's probably one of them ones you look back on and you you think gee I wish I wish I could have played in a flag with them guys let alone my twin brother and them great you know really good young kids we were coming through with but especially for them senior players at the time who um, yeah they're just legends of the club so when you reflect back that's probably the most
2: disappointing thing uh, for that period it's talking about having fun and playing with Shane and all that. Now, generally it's the forwards who will try, I guess, sneaky things to try and put off the defenders or whatever. was there any stages where you, you sort of just ducked onto the, your brother's opponent and just to try and mix it up and just, just to put them off their game a little bit and just – was there any sort of that kind of thing and or where I'm taking this player today or anything like that, that you sort of just worked with each other?
4: We certainly um, well, the first two seasons. Um, Shane was more of a forward, and I was obviously uh, drafted as a backman. But he he would play center half back and and sort of center half forward, half forward. So there, it was probably until '98 where we both played down back together. It was sort of a bit of a switch. It was more of a match up thing. You know, we knew we knew each other's game. We knew who would match up better on certain forwards. So. We certainly used to swap it around a little bit, and um, and you know, in saying that, some days you you wouldn't quite be on your game, so you'd help each other in a way like that. But it certainly come back to the matchups and how best you thought you matched up against a certain individual, and um, that was more as we played more and more together down back from sort of that '98 season onwards in that last two or three years. So, um, whereas um, as you recall. Coming into that 97 season, and um, Shane was really a forward. Played some very good games late in the year when Barry Hall was injured. Obviously, Jason Heatley in really good touch in that 97 season. And, uh, yeah, as I said, as history will show, Shane was unlucky and was an emergency for that 97 grand final. But, um, you know, some really high-quality football we played in 97. That 96, getting back to your question, 96 was probably we just didn't get the start to that season we would have liked, um, and build some consistency and build you know three or four wins in a row. Um, we I think I think even though we'd won that Ansett Cup uh, preseason grand final, I still think there was a, a level of a doubt. There was uh, quite a number of us boys who were 20 21 years of age and had hadn't quite fully believed in how good that we could be as individuals and as, as as a team.
0: So Shane, as you say, kick four against Collingwood late in 97 and a, a match-winning role forward and, and very close. Grand final, 1997. Can you sort of take us through your memories of, of that day? And I guess the second part of that question, how tough was it knowing that obviously your twin brother who you're so close to wasn't a part of that? In the back of your mind, you're thinking, I might be about to play in a premiership and he uh, he would miss out.
4: Yeah, look, that was heartbreaking at the time. It was, it was really sad. But at the same time, you were so focused on your own game, leading into finals, and you were hoping that he would somehow, that that four-goal effort, I think it was against Collingwood, from mm-hmm. memory. So, yeah. um, and I felt that could have been at least got him a position on the bench, with the four-man bench, and just got him. I knew how good a finals player he was. As a junior, playing reserves and league footy back home, I knew he he just thrived on that and played a lot of his, his forward as a centre half forward, but also at half back. But his best finals games were as a forward. So that was probably the disappointing thing that he at least uh, didn't get an opportunity to be there. I think he would have been very handy in that round final, just as a as a bit of a swingman, whether we needed someone else down back, and as another forward. So uh, yeah, it was sort of a bit that sort of a diff yeah, a very sad feeling not to for him not to get that opportunity. And at the same time you're fully focused on what what you needed to do as an individual at the same time.
1: What were what were some of the things that that both of you guys and you and Shane, but but more specifically, you had to to work on or or kind of came to realize that that needed to get better at post that ninety-seven season and, and the heartbreak of grand final day, what was the the reaction to the loss uh, I, I guess um, amongst the rest of the team, but, but also for you?
4: Um, uh, personally, I had to be, uh, I thought I had to become a more positive attacking player. I just needed to be a bit more of a ball player and that comes from confidence that comes with um, understanding what ability you have. Um, which I think in that leading into ninety-eight and then into ninety-nine, I I thought we developed that, but what it also showed was that there's always good sides around, there's always sides coming up the ladder. Um you gotta there's there's some great sides back then. Remember like Adelaide had such an amazing run through both final series 97-98, but you had the likes of Essen and who were still around the mark and really coming you had um you know, North Melbourne were an incredible side. Um, so, you you know, you had Brisbane around the mark and really starting to come to the fore and a lot of experience. So there was always good sides coming up. We had an amazing run coming into that 97 final series. And when you get a run like that, you just have to take it. And, um, yeah, as the grand final show, we just didn't do enough in that second quarter to really stretch it out to a, you know, it could have been out to a five-goal, Five goal lead at halftime. So um, yeah, at, um, Adelaide had some incredible yeah you know, AFL life members, Hall of Fame guys in that team, and so some of them early in their career. But it showed they had a huge amount of talent in that team. And they had a pretty handy coach. But yeah, as a whole, I thought we were tracking well. Um, but as a we needed a a really, a really strong leader and coach to really keep that group together tight and senior leaders to keep us tight. And probably at the time we, we probably did get looking back on it. We got ahead of ourselves um, and just, and probably rated ourselves and, and and we didn't prepare as well as as certainly coming into that past 98. Uh, We didn't prepare Stan was great for the group. He kept that discipline within that group. Um, he did get knocked for some of his behaviour in that 98 season, which cost him his job. Um, and maybe the club at that time felt, well, they've got this great group of young and old. Uh, the clock's ticking. We need some – maybe we uh, uh, getting a different coaching here can really take it to that next level which it did for about 10 weeks of that 99 season. (laughs) I think we were sitting top or halfway through the season, 10 and one or 10 and two, something like that.
2: Um, That's pretty much exactly where I was going to go next. I was going to ask you there with the transition from elves to Watson. um, How did the situation of Stan elves pan out in your view? Yeah. What what did you see happening? What did you did did you know what was going on before it happened? Um, there's a, a, a report of there was a, I guess like a bit of a coup from the players, and uh, how did you see it all unfold? Yeah, I was all, look,
4: I I was part of the leadership um, group coming into that. Um, so post season, um, so we, obviously that ninety eight series we we played finals we were I was injured in that first final against sydney we just went down to sydney from memory and then we got put out by melbourne at, at the mcg where we played pretty ordinary so i think we went out in straight sets from memory and i remember it was pretty much mad monday and there was a few whispers going around which i thought was just really weird i had no idea i was very naive to it all and um, I love Stan as a coach we got on very well I was very committed to him as a as a young kid he gave me great opportunity Um, and I loved his discipline I loved his structure of the team the way he brought the team together and, and had some real structure and discipline which we needed with a young group and we needed with some of the guys we brought into the club we just needed that that group needed that discipline and consistency and Real structure to our training, um, and it can't it come right out of the blue. I was I was really disappointed when Stan left, and um, I suppose leading into the '99 season with Tim. Tim was announced at the end of that year, um, straight off the, uh, the 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 Channel Channel Seven um, sports desk, and um, yeah, he brought a whole new group in. It was an incredible amount of turnover of players, which you might you might speak to in a minute, but uh, or you might ask me about. But yeah, um, it was a massive transition. I was very disappointed. Stan Stan was let go.
1: Obviously, that that period under Tim Watson, outside of the first half of that that season, was was overall a very disappointing time for the the footy club. And then there was a, that, that transition from Watson to Blight in the, that 2000, 2001 season. Obviously, an, another influx of young players, experienced players, Gehrig, Hamill, etc. And that's when that's when you moved on to Port. How did that? How did that trade happen? Obviously, the the uh, the trade to get you to Port was one of the reasons that we were able to bring Aaron Hamill
4: into the footy club. But how did how did that happen from your perspective? <sighs> So I suppose through that uh, Tim's first year '99, you know, we had a great start to the year. Clarkson was there as an assistant coach who pretty much ran that football program. Uh, he had all the the IP, a lot of the training drills, and um, you know, I, I sort of know I knew that knowledge of when he when he went on to coach other sides. So he was a big influence. Kevin Morris came in. I think it was a massive, just a massive change. Um, I think Tim at that time thought he could do a bit bit of what Essendon used to do uh, and bring in different players and turn their careers around. Um, I'm not directly answering your question, but just sort of it will lead into where what happened uh, when they released him. But we were a very different club. St Kilda was a very different club. We didn't have them foundations. We didn't have the foundations of success that Essendon had. When Shidi, when Shidi established himself and bringing guys in. And that's financially, that's as far as success. It was, you know, we with so many wooden spoons. So um, he probably thought he could bring in certain players into that organisation and turn them around with the quality we had, but it really frayed at um, uh, at what we'd built over that previous three months. And that's not to blame individuals, but it was just... Um, we needed, we needed, I think, just to back the ki- the kids who were there, and the older guys, but just, yeah, continue to, to improve that. Anyway, leading into two thousand, we we'd finished awfully in ninety nine under 10 and we just couldn't get we couldn't get anything going. There'd been a huge turnover of players at the end of ninety nine, and then we went into that two thousand season. I think we won three and a half games. Uh, my twin, twin brother, Shane, had an Achilles injury. Um, I was vice-captain at the time. Uh, I, I, I thought we really missed Shane down back and just being a part of that team. Uh, there was a lot of guys delisted then in 1999. So it was just a... as There was a real change within the group and the chemistry of the group from not, from really the back end of 1999. Uh, and then decisions... They don't get made for the sake of making decisions. They get made because guys are underperforming. But I think there was a lot of guys pushed out the door too early who had underperformed in the back of that 99 season, um, which le- then led to a huge change. And then 2000 was, um, yeah, when uh, they tipped it on its head when, when Tim got sacked. Um, obviously, Grant Thomas had his, had his eye on influencing the football department. Um, um, he was football director at the time and he quite aggressively pushed that in his direction um, along with Brian Waldron. So as early as best and fairest at the end of 2000 and um, I could feel something happening and, um, yeah, that's how it all evolved.
0: And just a final one from me. Um... Post your career, obviously, you're very close to having premiership reunions with the uh, St Kilda boys in uh, from from '97. But but how often do you do you sort of stay in touch with with that old group? And obviously, you've got that connection with Port. But do you keep an eye on the uh, on the Saints from time to time?
4: No, I definitely do. Um, obviously, that that whole generation when I was traded back, um, I had a couple of tough years, but I still got to know the guys like. Um, Ree Walt and Kaczynski and some of them guys are still our great mates with Stewie Lowe and Andrew Thompson and uh, Robert Harvey and them guys would, would often Maxi Maxie Hutchton. So it was a big transition through that era, but I keep in touch, obviously not so much in the last couple of years with COVID, but um, I, I, I love getting over there and um, probably not keeping in touch with the guys as much as we do, but um, I suppose you just get on with Living your life and living your family life. I've obviously remained here in Adelaide. Um, I'm in the pharmacy industry. I have pharmacies here in Adelaide, and um, yeah, life gets busy. But um, we we generally have a, a one catch up a year um, with the Port Premiership guys, and um, that's great fun. And uh, we see see them a lot of the guys around at past players events, which is very fortunate here in Adelaide. But the reality is a lot of them guys are assistant coaches or footy managers or what. So, you know, they're still living their football lives as well.
2: And basically on field, if you go back to all the players you've played on, who, who would you say was probably the hardest player to match up on? And if it's not the same player, who was your favourite player to have it just beat up on the day like you have to give a real good real good hiding on the on the field
4: oh gee Um oh, the toughest bit David Neitz he was a power athlete and uh, for some reason he used to kick dead eye straight whenever I played on him he, he, he seemed to kick five or six on me and that'd play an open forward line he was a very good player but Kerry Wayne Kerry at Waverley um Playing Pagan's Paddock, yeah, he used to get quite nervous. Um, he had lots of space to run. He had a massive engine. He had all the tricks. And even if you kept him quiet for three quarters, he'd come out and kick three or four on you, a couple from 60, and did what he needed to do to get him over line. So incredible player. I, I, I had a decent record against um, Matty Lloyd over the journey. Even though in that premiership season coming in, I think he kicked seven on me at the Docklands halfway through that that premiership year of 04. But I used to enjoy the that rivalry with with Lordy. He was a competitor, but um, I, I used to enjoy that matchup along with Richo. Richo was always a interesting character on the field. So always had always had plenty to whinge about. But uh, I match up pretty good on him.
1: I have to ask. Um- and Aaron kind of touched on earlier about kind of switching with Shane on the field and, and some of those sorts of things, but w- was there ever a time during your your period at St. Kilda where um, you and Shane obviously being identical that you have some abilities to play pranks on teammates or opponents or coaches or, or anything like that. Is there one or two that, that kind of stick out in, in your mind as, as kind of the, the, the best of the best? Well, they're,
4: they're probably the, Probably the one and only time we seriously considered it, and uh, we were ne- we were nearly going to try and pull it off. Ninety eight season, i I'd, I'd been i'd been reported um, for charging against West Coast. It was a game at Waverley, sort of mid year. We we're in a bit of a slump, and we we actually got up that day, but the following Shane had done an ankle, um, so um, basically he. Uh, he was. Um, I got suspended for two weeks, and he he had an ankle injury out of that game. So uh, there was a few discussions behind the scenes that um, I would actually play in the number twelve jumper and uh, his place because I was fine, I was fresh, and I was no worries. I'd come off a, come off the game against West Coast. Unfortunately, I was suspended at the time, so there was quite a strong discussion to say. Who who really would know? And the reality was, no one would know. I mean, half my teammates didn't didn't know the difference between us. Um, and uh, it was a serious consideration. I'm not sure how the conversation ended up, but I I, I, I think we saw the common sense and decided not to. But I, yeah, in hindsight, it would have, it would have been a great story to be able to tell. And um, you might I'm not sure what would have happened ten years later if it had come out as fact, but um, yeah, it certainly would have, would have gone down as a legendary story.
0: That would have been brilliant, the AFL version of the fine cotton. It does make me laugh, the Harry Mackay, Ben Mackay thing. How yeah, They never play on each other and the rumours that there's only one of them. But, uh, Daryl, thanks very much for, uh, for, for joining us. Um, great contribution to the Saints over the, the journey and uh, obviously with Port Adelaide posts and Kilda. And, uh, and thanks very much for, for jumping on.
4: Absolute pleasure, boys. All the best.
0: Daryl Wakeland there. We looked to the Cats at Marvel Stadium, a team we played twice last year in matches that probably defined our season. In reality, we probably should have won both of them. Uh, certainly the first one at Marvel when we completely dominated, but kicked five goals, 17. And in the second time we played them at Cadinia Park when we kicked the first five goals of the game before Max King got injured, And we were hamstrung for the remainder of the afternoon. We're only a point down with four minutes to go and got beaten by 13, I think, in that game. But uh, if we win both of those matches, then we would have gone very close, I think on percentage perhaps to to playing finals. But uh, I feel we should have won both of them. We raised to a level last year that made us ultra competitive against them. And I feel that, a lot has been said around that Melbourne game. A lot of people tweeted that, oh, it's the biggest game St Kilda's played in Melbourne, potentially since Ross Lyon was coached or the back end of 2017. I actually think it's more this one than, than that one. So that one was big because you were testing yourself against the best team in the competition. It was a Mother's Day time slot at their home grounds. I think the expectation was that we... We are using that game as a measuring stick. Obviously, you wanted to beat them. And had we have won the game, we would have been sitting here talking about, oh, shit, we can win the flag. But So that made it big. But this is a game that if we are tracking the direction we think we are tracking, then we have to go past this team. So this has been one team that's been a constant stumbling block for us we haven't beaten them since 2016 that was the only time we've beaten them since the 2010 qualifying final so they've owned us for a decade or so like they've owned most teams but they look like they're a side that is still competitive still pretty good but at the end of their contending window they look like they're a side that should play finals but they're probably not going to win the flag now if we are building the way we think we are building, then we need to wave at them on the way past and go, it's our turn now. Um, you're going to be hard to beat. We've got to respect everything you've done, but it is our time to go past you. So uh, this game will tell us a lot about those sorts of things. It's going to be a tricky game, probably 50-50 in many respects. But if you look at their games, Collingwood led them by six goals. Hawthorne beat them. Sydney beat them. Um, Fremantle beat them. Um you know, it's it's a winnable game, albeit tricky. Um, and we welcome obviously Jack Billings and, and Cooper Shaman into the side. Dan Butler goes out with that injury and uh Wanganimolera managed, which was always gonna happen with a kid. They, they all need a spell every now and then. So nothing wrong with that. The reserves have the bye, so Uh, no real chance to to push them forward, which is a shame because Hunter Clark probably needs two games in the twos, which means he might miss another one. Um, Just like Jack Billings had two in the reserves. Uh, He comes in on on a strong bank of form uh, as does Cooper Sharman. So that's where it sits selection wise, uh, H. But yeah, I see this game as the biggest game we've played in Melbourne since potentially back end of of 2017.
2: It is a big game. And, they're at that point that we're thinking we're going to, well, we're hoping to be sitting at the end of the year there that you've got those few teams, as we're saying on that higher grade level, that higher grade We're in this next group, which are long, most likely, um, the, as you say, they're the sort of teams that because they're in and around us, we've got to get the wood over them. We've got to beat them. We've got to get back on we've had two losses in a row now. We need to get the win uh, feel back into us. I mean, not looking ahead too far, but the next two games are probably some of our most winnable games of the season. When you look at them, yeah. we don't want to lose too much confidence going, okay, we've get absolutely belted by Geelong and, and it, it just saps from us and we, oh, we have to go to Adelaide now or, it just takes it out of them and you think well no okay gotta gotta go out this week make make it our game we we, we know how Geelong played they've played the same way for near on a decade the the game plan it almost hasn't changed it's it, you you almost will think you're watching the same Geelong game every single week it's it's quite amusing that there's nothing Nothing go, wow, I haven't seen him do that before. So we we know what we're coming up, coming up against. And, th- and that's, a, I guess, a simple way to put it, that you know what Geelong are going to bring. So let's get out there. Let's take that knowledge of we know who's playing. We know what they do. Hawkins is a danger, but there's easy ways to shut him down. You know, we know how to do it. We've done it before. Then we shut him down. We've got to look after Cameron. He, he has been their bigger danger, I think, over recent weeks. I, I think he is much more damaging than what Hawkins is. Um, he gets off the chain and, and you're in trouble. Um, we've seen him kick a few bags this year already and they've won games quite easily. So their the forward line is their strength. The midfield... Basically, you find the midfielders will get the ball and they will move it through to centre very quickly and they've got these targets up forward who play very good football. If we can't stop that feed, I guess, then we're we're coming down to that backfield group, which which as a group have been working well, but it's a big ask and yeah, we're really going to have to call upon them this week, but Sharman, I think it was, was it against Geelong last year that he came out um, and...
0: It was in the block, Played yeah. well. Yeah, it was in yeah. That block so...
2: Before. Yeah, yeah he, he actually had a, I think, remember him having a reasonable game against them. So, yeah, it, it's... That, that's a player that they're going to have to be aware of. Um, so, it, it does come back our way as well when you look at it. We've got the big forwards. Their defence is a bit more of a running defence. So... Size-wise, we're we're pretty good on them, but we just need these guys to start kicking straight. That that that's that's as simple as it is. I mean, we I mean we only had eight seven on the weekend, but I mean it's still not great kicking if you look at it that way. It's it's we had to make the most absolute most of every opportunity we had in the weekend if we were ever going to win. And yeah, eight seven still doesn't get you over the line at at any point basically. So um it'd be nice to I guess we're going back inside um we thought that we were going to kick much better outside but we seem to have killed that killed that theory but um it'd be, it'd be good to go inside and reverse the trend and uh, and yeah make the most of every opportunity we get given and put put the four points on the board. one of the, the the things and I think you're both, you're both spot on. This is,
1: this is a really winnable game. Um, And and I think potentially you're going into that uh, Port Adelaide game at five and one, uh, you know, I I think we we always talk about not getting ahead of yourselves and keeping a lid on it and all those sorts of things, but you go into games, you know, against a team that is below you on a ladder like Port were and you're five and one at that stage, Port had won one game they won the week before they beat West coast. Um, and, you know, you feel like you're, you're unbeatable at that stage, but yeah, I think we potentially, we as a collective, not just us, but as a collective of saints fans and, and we should be winning every game. And and yes, I think you've got to approach every week as if every week is a winnable game and, and you go out every week trying to win that game. But if, if someone had said to you a month ago that you're going to be, give me five and one, and then you've got, Port and Cairns, Melbourne at the G, and Geelong at Marvel. Now, theoretically, they're all pretty good teams. I mean, one of them is a very, very good team. Port's a pretty good team, especially up there. Up there. And Geelong, over the last 20 years, have been a very good team. Um, if they had said, you're going to be 5-1 and one, and you're going to win one of the next three, and like being completely realistic, I probably would have taken that. I would have taken that almost every day of the week, I reckon. Now, would I like to beat Port up there and beat Geelong at Marvel? Of course. Would I like to have an upset win against Melbourne? Of course I would. But being completely realistic, thinking about where we are in our development as a squad, as a team, as a roster, um, as a footy club, would I take that? Absolutely. So if we can come out of this stretch, and we knew going into it, there was going to be a real tough stretch. Um, there, there was no doubts about that, regardless of where Port were on the ladder. Um if we can come out of this having beaten Geelong, yeah, I'll, I'll be content. Uh, if we lose against Geelong, I'll, I'll be pretty annoyed and frustrated, I would imagine, um, because I think this is a really winnable game. We showed last year that you know, we match up on them really well, and we should go into this one full of confidence off the back of that, that even, even in patches of really uh, frustrating, poor form last year, we still potentially had the wood on Geelong twice. And like you said, Paco we should have beaten them twice if not for a errant kicking in game one. And then Max King's injury in the second one, we probably win both of those games. Um, and so from a, a personal perspective, you know, Max King is, is, is the one here who should absolutely be going into this game uh, ready to, to lay the wrath of God down on, on Geelong's defensive unit. Like he should go into this game full of confidence full of beans and just ready to have the game of his life because we know he can do it and he should know he can do it. All he's got to do is do the things that he does best, which is run at the ball, jump at the ball, take a grab and kick a goal. Like at the end of the day, it's a really simple game of footy, win the ball, kick goals, really simple game of footy. And that's what we've got to do.
0: If it's guys like, you know, Ray Stanley and the you I mean Geelong have had an Achilles heel in that area of the ground since Brad Otton's retired. And, and I know they've battled away a little bit, but Ryder and Marshall should expect to be largely influential in the contest and hopefully our midfield, which is where we might be able to get on top of them even with Selwood back and Dangerfield and those sorts of things. Um, Clearly their bookends are pretty good and you you can't kick it to Tom Stewart and all of that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's time for us to stand up in in a game like this. We've had a very good start to the season. Let's remember that five and three, probably the only downside was a loss to Port. We've ticked most other boxes that we should tick and, had a couple of misses, obviously a Melbourne game, but five and three you would have taken. It probably should be six and two, but, but now it's a chance to, you know, if we, as I say, it's, it's time to stand up and move past a team like this. Uh, they won't give it to you easy. They've been a pain in the ass to play against for, for ages. I'm sick of losing to them. Full credit to them for being as good as they've been, but um, it's done now. You, you It's time for you to walk past this team.
1: Well, that, that's right. And, and again, looking at, at, this footy club in previous years, this is, this is the time when we lose this game and all of a sudden there's massive question marks, oh, yeah. not just yeah. externally, but internally. And and the players in their own minds are thinking, shit, are we actually good enough to do this? And you go into Adelaide and in Adelaide and go, shit, are we, are we even good enough to beat Adelaide? Or, you know, we'll drop the bundle like we did last year um, in, in Cairns and, and all of a sudden those mental demons rise up and then you lose to Adelaide. And, you got North and you go, fuck, we can't lose to this rabble, can we? Except we can, because they're thinking about it and they're in their own heads already. You win this and you go in against Adelaide full of confidence. You go in against North Melbourne, absolutely believing that you need to win this game. You cannot lose this game. And all of a sudden your season is, is well back on track and you know anything can happen from that point. And so it's it's going to show us where we're at as a footy club, where we're at mentally, the strength of our footy club, the strength of, of, you know, our, our willpower and desire. Um, because I think if we, I think if we turn up against Geelong, I think we beat them.
0: Yeah. And that's I, what I was going. say. Yeah.
2: yeah and, and I'm hoping it's not a cursed date or something because it actually is exactly the same day as we played in last year, <laughs> May 14th. So, <laughs> so. <it's> a, hopefully <laughs> there's nothing in the date. It's the same date, same venue. Let's, you know, let's I'm gonna dig up hope, AFL. Let's hope now. for yeah, let's and let's hope for an, alter, an alternate an yeah. alternate universe. That'd be a good good thing.
0: I'm gonna look at the 14th of May for every year in history and see if that is the case and then talk myself into us losing. But um we'll see what happens. We'll we'll look at our awards. That is so St. Kilda, by the way, that, that stat, which is a, a segue into that very segment. I'm gonna start with the Tim Membry quarter time. We needed a goal to settle down. We'd obviously started poorly. Took a nice mark at the top of the goal square. It's a really straightforward transaction 15 meters out. On one hand, it's very rare that a defender will time the jump well enough to actually get a fingertip on that. Um, it's also unusual that you would flirt with danger when you're only 15 meters out like that. Just one step one clear the mark. But also for a goal umpire to see that from 15 meters away when it must have, you know, blown a, a piece of fluff off his fingernail. Um, Goal umpires, I don't think, would normally even be paying attention to that. They'd be like, oh, where's the ball going? But for a goal umpire to call that, um, it, it's the perfect storm. It's, it's so St Kilda. We cocked it up. They produced a miracle and an umpire for the first time in history was paying attention. It's like cricket umpires looking for front foot, no balls. They don't look for it anymore. <laughs> but uh, you can guarantee that if, um you know... Mitchell Stark was playing for St Kilda. He'd be getting called seven times a game, but um, yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those things that it all came together. Uh, unfortunately, mostly Tim Emery's fault, but um, the whole thing is, is so St Kilda. Uh, Nick, where did you want to go? Oh, come
1: on! We've mentioned this bloke, I reckon every week on the podcast this mm. year, but Jake Bower, we even spoke <laughs> to his dad about it, about the potential <laughs> of Jake Bowie having his first loss against St Kilda. And, what happened is that he actually breaks the record for consecutive wins to start a career against St Kilda. Um, I mean, that's just not much more needs to be said.
2: Hmm. Oh, I was going to say, I think they actually made made it the 100th game between the two of them as well. I think it might eighty five and fifteen. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there they that's mm. it, it. was their their um, uh, milestone game between them. So um I I'm going to the selection table and pretty much touting the change and I've been saying it's probably going to happen in the last two weeks and it's been forced by an injury that Butler that, that Butler's been apparently carrying for weeks now so um yeah it's I mean we've been saying how much he looks like he's been struggling but it all reports it sounds like he's been struggling because he has been able to actually run so it's it's yeah it's a bit, bit secured that we're concerned about a player is not playing well and it's actually because he's injured so I, I don't knowing that you sort of wonder uh, why has he been playing well that, when, that's the question and
4: uh,
2: yeah
1: before before we move on to the next the next segment I just want to ask you guys like surely we're at a point now we've got enough depth where we don't have to be carrying injured blokes and and clearly now the injury that he's suffered on the weekend is, is uh, further inflammation, further exacerbation of the injury that he was already carrying. And we know with things like Achilles um, and other tendons like that, that that's a real risk, a, a real risk when you're carrying, you know, inflammation in tendons that they are prone to further injury. So surely, surely we know that surely we're at a stage now where you don't have to play a guy that's clearly struggling, that's clearly mm. hampered. And, and they would know that, you know, it's not, it's not for us to talk about how much he looks like he's struggling. Is he injured? I wonder if he's injured, or if he's okay. Like that shouldn't be, shouldn't be what we need to do, but surely the club needs to know and the the medical staff and the coaching staff need to know, or must know that he's hampered. He's not hundred percent. He's clearly not hundred um, percent. And that he's risking further injury by being out there. Surely we've got enough depth now that we can cover a bloke like Dan Butler for a
2: couple of weeks and give him a spell. Yeah. And, and to add on top of that, he's the player who's subbed on for him. One kick, one goal.
3: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just, it
2: just goes further and further when you look into it. So it's a, yeah, it's a couple of questions there. You would would like to find the answer out too, but. Yeah. And
0: I think that, and just a side note of that, I think that was overhyped a little bit. I know a lot of people with Windhager, you know, they were, smashing mm. everyone for the player's not getting, not getting around him i mean it's it's deep in a game it's probably the fifth game of his career not everybody would immediately know that he hasn't kicked one i know we see it with other clubs but a lot of people suggested that that was you know an example of a massive problem like no nah, that's it's overstated it was a, it was an oversight late in a disappointing day so yeah. no, i, no I was more, think
1: i was more yeah. concerned about the player's not getting to jones and, and getting around yeah. that that little yeah. scuffle. Um, I mean, when you're at a point of the game like that, and and you want everyone firing on all cylinders, mm. you want everyone up and about, and you you get a, a clash like that. Um, yeah, I would have loved to have seen ten blokes run run to Jones and and demonstrate yeah.
2: with with those
3: uh, at, with those at, blokes.
2: At the same time, though, Melbourne did play on pretty quickly from it. They took the fifty and went pretty quick. So. But I'm, um, I'm also glad,
0: just just on that, I'm, I'm glad that I know that they put an eagle or a hawk on the roof of the MCG in the past to uh, scare seagulls away. I didn't realise they had snipers on the roof this time. So, uh, unfortunately, he shot Clayton Oliver, which was a bit of a concern. Um, you don't want him just popping players in the middle of games. But um, thankfully, Clayton was all right after that gunshot wound that uh, blew him off his feet in the... Uh, in the third quarter, there, but or last quarter, or whatever it was. But, um, yeah, thankfully, none of our, none of our boys got shot. So we're, we're all good on that front. Um, yeah, but
1: absolute fraud.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm over it. I'm so over it. it. <laughs> and, and, and our blow gets fined, it's extraordinary. So, anyway, um, I thought the worst thing Jones did was the actual tunnel. I was surprised he didn't get reported for that. Mm. But, um, in any case, mm.
2: um, right. I, I, looking yeah. back at that, it, I think, I think he got away with it because he was, he wasn't too late. That was the thing. the The ball had just hit Langdon as mm. he got him. Yeah, uh, I think I think he got away with it being a contest. Mm. So uh, that's that's probably where he's lucky. I think it, it was second later, and I think he would have been in a bit of trouble.
0: Jason Blake Award, H. Do you want to kick us off with that?
2: Um, I, I'm. I was trying to find someone from the game, sort of going, oh, my... Who wasn't gonna go here? But I I think I think Benny Patton probably he he dug in on the weekend. He it probably didn't show, I guess, as much as um what his out like his stats outputs shows you as to how how influential he was in the game. But I I feel like he's the job he did on I think he got moved around a fair bit. And as he went to players, they he seemed to kind of keep those players out of the play a little bit and just just he got given a couple of jobs and did them pretty well. Um, but he just doesn't get those plaudits because of how the result went and he didn't get massive stats and all that sort of stuff. But I, I think I think he did a lot more off the ball than what gets noticed. So I, I was a few times there I've looked at where he was and where the ball was, and I've gone, oh. That that is actually a really good effort, and he, but he gets nothing for it. And I, I I do like these players that basically they they throw themselves at it, but they get no stats for it. And it, as I said, it gets forgotten many many times. In and the play moves on, and the, the player who's I guess broken open the play or just just knocked it on that little bit or knocked it out of the contest and it's the sort of little things that he does. Um, and yeah, I, I thought he did a lot more than he got credit for on the weekend.
0: He's building nicely. I reckon pattern uh, Nick.
1: Yeah, it was a, it's a tough one this weekend. and I gave Dougal Howard uh, a vote this week, um, but two of his mates and, and Parker, I think you gave Cal Wilkie a, uh, a couple of votes, uh, Three. which you yeah. probably, probably deserved. Um, mm. But also yeah, there were a number of other guys like we discussed um, that, that all got votes. So I've given uh, the Jason Blake Award this week essentially to a combination of Cal Wilkie and Josh Battle. Um, I think that the combination of the two uh, across halfback uh, as those kind of intercept markers um, between them on the weekend 21 marks, 10 intercepts, 37 disposals, going at 90% disposal efficiency, uh, majority of those kicks and, and uh, either kicks to contests or, or, or um, longer kicks as well. Um, I think that our back six as a whole is very underrated. I think it doesn't get spoken about, you know, when you, you look at um, some of the the top defensive units in, in the competition, but I think they're right up there. They're, they're undersized. They're probably not as experienced as some of the other, the other, uh, other mobs, but I think what Josh Battle has done is has provide another avenue um, at centre half back, another intercept marking option, uh, real defensive uh, IQ, and and when I say defensive, I mean that as being able to read the flight of the ball and, and get to the, the drop of the ball at the right time in the right place, but also the way that he distributes um, through half back and, and and up to, to centre wing, etc. Um, real intelligence to the back line. And I think that combination with Cal Wilkie um, is incredibly underrated. And uh, I was very impressed with with the unit as a whole, despite a few of those uh, Melbourne goals. But as, as we know, Melbourne are just the most efficient team of all time, moving the ball forward. And um, yeah, they just take their opportunities almost every time.
0: Yeah. I think I mentioned Ross last week. Um, I was tempted to go Wilkie here as well, but I'd probably throw in, um, again, we're looking at that same section of the ground, but but I think Webster – has been pretty solid as well since, since coming back in. Obviously, that was evident by the fact when he missed that game with COVID and then slotted straight back in. He, he's doing a, a reasonable job as a medium defender. Um, I think that's allowing us to use guys like Long and Patton and Wood in, in different sorts of roles, which is important. So he does his job a lot. Jimmy Webster, he's, he's a guy that I think is um, – someone that's pretty highly valued within the club. So, um, yeah, he's demonstrated just how important he is and, and effectively keeping someone like Eerie out of the side, of the, the ex-captain, I would say, at, at this point. But that's the way I'd go with that one. The Shannon Noel Award, probably a little bit easier uh, this week than, than in some of the others. But, Nick, did you want to kick that off?
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> there, there are a few, a few choices this week. I've, I've given it to Jade Gresham. Um, we know he works hard. We know he's, he's a clearance beast when he's in there. And, and Darren, you mentioned kind of moving him out of those, those situations uh, a little bit on the weekend. But I just feel like he, he's a prime candidate, one of those guys that does so much hard work to win the ball, uh, win clearances, stoppages. Um, you're doing so much of that hard work and then ruins it by poor execution um by foot or or decision making with with ball in hand. Jade Gresham is immensely talented. He's got a massive future. He's he's a star, but he could he could genuinely be a superstar of the competition if he cleans up some of these things. Um, and I, I just if he, can, if he can improve a few of those things by five or 10%, then he can be a really, really, really good player in this competition. Um, and I'm just waiting for it to happen because I, I think he's got the work rate. Right. I think he's got the work ethic to do it. It's just a matter of it actually happening. Um, but uh, Jade Gresham, I think you've got to lift when you've got the ball in your hands.
0: H.
2: Um, going a similar path, but I'm going to go big. I need Max King to rip a team apart at some point. He, I think, he needs it for his own confidence as well. Um, again, he's getting the getting goals, but it seems to only be happening in the third quarter or something. In the fourth quarter, it, it it's. It'd be nice to see him play a four quarter game. It'd be nice to see him just just take a backline by the scruff of the neck and destroy him. It, 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 the ability is there. The skill is there. It feels like it's the want to do it. You just see him that occasionally just gets knocked off the ball a little bit too easily. Or it it just doesn't the mark's not sticking. He'll drop three marks in the forward line and then take a ripping mark right in front of the in front of the bench you go, know, that's not where we need you taking those marks. It's, they need to be in the forward 50. But then on top of that, he takes the marks and his kicking is a little bit questionable at times. It's just just all these things, just to tear apart a team one week and every one of those things, he's lift, confidence lifts. So it's it's not a fact of, oh, I take a whole lot of marks this week, but I kick terribly. The confidence is still not there. It's take ten marks, kick 10 goals, or I mean that that's that looks a long way off in any case, but it I, I mean as looking ahead of Gallois again, he could do it against North Melbourne, but it'd be nice to do it against a team who go go out there and finally kick that five against Geelong. Make, make him know that hey, I'm in form now. Be, be scared of coming up against me. But at the moment, it, it doesn't feel like the teams are fearing coming up against him right at this minute. So it'd be nice to, nice for him to stamp his authority on a game and
0: really go, I'm here. Yeah, and it'd be a nice time to, to start. For, for me, it's probably, again, I'm, I'm highlighting moments. I think he played a very good game. and I know you gave him votes, Paige, and, and fair enough. Um, Tim Membury, he's a, a beautiful kick for goal, probably the best kick for goal in our team. Um, And he demonstrated that earlier this year with clutch goals against Richmond and against the Gold Coast and and those sorts of things as well. But uh, when he misses, he seems to miss it at at important stages. Um, He can kick goals at important stages as well. I'm not not talking so much about the outside 51, but that one from obviously close in, in the first quarter and one or two others as well. I think um, for someone who is a beautiful kick, um, we probably just need to see a few more of those in the in the clutch situations, as, as harsh as that might sound for, for, for Tim. So good player, very important player in our top six, but just one of those little fine-tuning things. I guess a couple of points, Dan, Han- Dan Hanabury's gone over to Germany to catch up with Healing Hands. We uh, we touched base with uh, the Healing Hands camp about trying to tee up an interview potentially for next week. So we'll see how we go with the, the hamstring guru. So. Uh, Dan hannabury over there and, and the early free agency talks, Carl Amon been on the adder, a little bit of Port Adelaide, lifelong Saints fan um, and again being linked. So as a free agent, St Kilda are likely to speak to him. So we'll, uh, I guess we'll keep an eye on on those as we, we touch on those things. Happy birthday to Adam Schneider on the day of recording as well. You can find that old uh, podcast if you dig back through the archives and, you to nominate films via social as well. Uh, that that uh, game reminds you of what particular film. But massive game for the club. Get along to Marvel and, and cheer along, and hopefully we can get the job done against the Cats and, and meet up next week at 6 and 3. Go Saints.